Hello and welcome once again to the ALS Association Greater Philadelphia Chapter Podcast. I'm your host, Tony Heil, the Director of Communications and Public Policy here at the Greater Philadelphia Chapter. It's been a very fun and eventful summer, going through a couple walks in the spring, Advocacy Day, the Phillies Festival, um, which has brought their total to $16 million raised for the fight against ALS since 1984, and a lot of really significant victories in advocacy uh, in terms of funding ALS research in Washington and passing bills like the 21st Century Cures Act and Steve Gleason Act. But instead of just relaxing on the things we've been able to do in the first half of the year of 2015, it's time to start talking about what we're doing in the fall, and that includes a number of Walk to Defeat ALS events that you should definitely sign up for. Uh, Before we start with our guests today, I recommend you sign up for a walk at www.gpcwalkdefeatals.org. And, of course, it's the hot time of the summer right now, so the best way to cool off is with an ice bucket challenge. Learn more at alsphiladelphia.org or alsicebucketgp.org to learn about how you can challenge ALS, get involved, dump some water on yourself or a friend, and do something creative. And I'm sure we're going to be talking about it a bit in our conversation today. Uh, If you've listened to past podcasts, you've heard from people who have ALS, you've heard from lawmakers, you've heard from the president of the ALS Association, Barb Newhouse, and you've heard from researchers and many others with different perspectives. Our guest today is Chris Martin, the walk chair for the Greater Philadelphia chapter for the Greater Philadelphia Walk to Defeat ALS. See, if he's nervous about saying stuff, I'm on stumbling already. Uh, And he's been with the walk for many years now in honor and memory of his father which we'll talk about today. And the Walk to Defeat ALS in in Philadelphia is on Sunday, November 1st, and we hope that you all can be there. And if you can't, join a walk near you. So, without further ado, because I've spoken way too long, Chris, welcome to our podcast. Thank you, Tony. Glad to be here. So, Chris, we're here to talk about the Walk to Defeat ALS, and everyone's got their own special reason for why they join there. Um, Tell us about how ALS became prominent in your own life. Sure. Uh, it started back in the early 2000s. My father developed uh, uh, some atrophying in his leg, uh, his left leg, and they weren't quite sure what it was, and they put him on steroids. He went to a local hospital and um, was walking with a cane, and things just kind of kept progressing, and, and we weren't sure what was going on. His doctors were running out of ideas. Uh, by the time we got to, I believe it was um, mid-February or March of 2012, we went to the Pennsylvania Neurological Institute down at the University of Pennsylvania, uh, where the ALS clinic is. And when I say we, I mean my father and my mother uh, went. And after you know initial review and uh, meeting with Dr. McCluskey and kind of what a lot of people go through, uh, I got home that day, and as soon as I knocked on the door, Parents let me in. I could tell by my mother's face that something severely um, wrong had just been told to them, and that's when I was informed that he had ALS. Now, at that point, I knew it was Lou Gehrig's disease, but and then it was a fatal disease, but I really didn't know that much about it. I didn't know how it progressed. I didn't know how long the lifespan was. So through the clinics um, down at the uh, University of Pennsylvania, through the ALS clinic, through the ALS Association, slowly started to get more and more involved, and it was actually, it was a small world, um, uh, Dale Scheimer was down at one of the clinics as a patient, sort of liaison, mm-hmm. saying, I've been through this and to help you out. And, and Dale's and, still there today. And he's still there to this I mean, day. right now at this minute, 
Right, right, right. Not, just hang out not this minute. Time. But he's there to this day. Um, and he and I were just talking, and, and it was, you know, he talked about his involvement with the walk, or involvement with ALS, and um, it was then that he, and I believe it was someone else on the team mentioned, hey, there's a local ALS walk. I had no idea. And I, I realized that a lot of people don't get involved with ALS unless they're directly affected. And that's why the S Bucket Challenge was so incredible was because all of these people with no real direct affiliation to ALS suddenly were involved and became aware of it. And that's what we've been striving for for years. So anyway, um, got informed about the walk and made a contact with Allison uh, at the chapter. And after a few conversations, was invited to come to a walk committee meeting. They said, do you want to help us out? I said, sure, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'd be glad to help you out. And I went to the first meeting, and I was lucky enough to meet uh, some of the people there, including Catherine and Jerry Voigt, mm -hmm. and was blown away by the two of them, seeing how much they cared for each other, um, seeing how much he cared for Catherine, her involvement, her passion about it. And this is a woman who had had ALS for, at that point, I guess it was maybe six years, maybe not quite that long, but long enough that she was in a chair, you know, restricted speaking capability, and these two were just full bore ahead as the as the chair people of the walk. And from that day forward, I sort of got more and more involved, and, and things went on from there. Um, I guess I would say that after a few years of doing the walk, sort of as a, a committee member, trying to get donations, having a team, I realized that I wanted to do more and was talking with Jerry and he said, you know, would you like to maybe think about chairing this? I've talked to Allison about it. Would you be interested? And I really didn't know what that meant, what it might involve as well. Uh, but I, as soon as he asked me, I didn't even hesitate. I mean, if Jerry or Catherine asked me to do anything, I would do anything in the world for them. Mm -hmm. um, they were two of the most inspiring people I've ever met. And the moment I became chairman, for me, everything really started to speed up. I think I was more of a participant sort of spectator. I raised my money. I had my team. I told people to work about it. I had some people come um, for work with me. But then after that, it was, I'm in. So what year was that that you became the walk chair? I guess it was 2004, maybe 2005. You know, at this so it's point, been 10 years now. It's even a long, a long time. Maybe it's, maybe it's later than that. I've been involved with the walk so long. I mean, like the first year we did it, my dad was, uh, <coughs> excuse me, was ill and didn't want and couldn't participate. But it wasn't. I think it was two years after that that I became the chair and worked mm -hmm. with, you know, worked with you guys at the association, all the people who have been there. Um, and it was chair when I became chair that I realized, hey, there's a lot more to this. There's a lot more talking with with businesses. There's talking with uh, corporate recruitment. There's talking with our office and this company where we are right now, the company that I've worked at since May of 2000, since day one, since the first day I ever came to them and said, would you give money to sponsor the walk? Every single year they've said yes. And we, we can thank Brinker Capital. We don't have to just say this company. We thank right, you right. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sure they're happy and proud to be involved with the They case. are extremely proud. I was just and, about to say the name. Yeah, and, yeah, and we're happy to have Brinker involved. But um, it sounds like from the first moment on, there were a lot of realizations, realization with, with learning from your mom, from learning, then from learning from your dad. Because really, ALS, you learn from your mom first and then your dad, right? Because she was the one that told you. Right. Uh, and then from the walk and from everything else and also realization of all the things that go forth with your company and how much they would get involved. So um, 
your perspective with this is one of a lot of learning, I think, as anyone else's. Yes, uh, absolutely. As I said, most people don't know anything about ALS until they're actually introduced face-to-face. And since you've been doing this for 10-plus years now, do you think that that's changed a bit? Because your first walk, people, you know, 2004, for example, mm-hmm. you know, I was on the Internet. I mean, everyone was using the Internet, but, you know, we were on Friendster if you were on any social media site, right? Right, exactly. Um, and, you know, people were still using TVs. Uh, in addition to no Ice Bucket Challenge, there was no Steve Gleason. Um, I mean, I don't even know if he was – I mean, I guess he was playing football at that point. But, yeah, uh, but, you know, he was still a football player, right. much less a personal day ALS. So – do you think things have changed since that first time? Things have changed massively. I remember the first walks um, back when we did them uh, out in Radnor and thinking, wow, this is huge. This is great. You know, we're raising lots of money. And every year I was amazed by the total. But now when I see the totals, now when I see the number of people, now when I see a gigantic team doing a line dance mm-hmm. at the event, Whereas it was groups of people in the beginning, and, and not that there weren't significant numbers of teams, but the numbers have increased dramatically. It's just the volume of, of um, uh, participants and actually the money that's raised goes far beyond what I ever would have anticipated. And a lot of that is driven specifically by social media. You said Steve Gleason. I only follow about 40 people on Twitter. I follow the association. I know. We retweet, you retweet us a lot. I retweet you a lot. I retweet Steve Gleason a lot. I follow mm-hmm. him every step of the way. Um, and I, I'm a big believer in that. I believe it's important to get that out there. And now we kind of have a mechanism to do it. Whereas before, it, it, like you said, Friendster, it, it didn't really exist. It wasn't out there. And all of a sudden, something like an ice bucket challenge can start with two people up in the northeastern part of the country. And the next thing you know, it's global. And the conversations we can have today are conversations we really couldn't have when you first started, right? In terms of our understanding of it, our modes of communication. Yeah. So things are converging in in a similar time frame, right? Absolutely. Everything's coming together, whether it's it's through social media, whether it's the the knowledge, the the progress that they've made with the disease, whether it's uh, uh, the overall awareness of the disease. We have come light years from where we are 10 years ago, and it's... It's amazing to me because it's been, you know, to me it felt like the Ice Bucket Challenge was somewhat organic, even though it comes from the stand of social media. Like, it was built of two guys. One guy wanted to help out another guy. It's as organic as you can get. Yeah. I mean, even organic materials of water. Right, right. Exactly. Yeah. So it's, it's uh, you're absolutely right about that. And I'm, I'm thrilled to see what it became. Mm-hmm. And my goal this year has been don't let that momentum go away. We have so many people who know about this now. Uh, you know, every now it's every August until a cure. That to me is just as important as what we did last year. And when you first started, your mentality was really every walk until a cure. Absolutely, I've said at more, more uh, meetings and barbecues and whatnot. You know, I want to do this the last time, and then that's it. You know, we have that one last walk, and we don't do another walk because there's a cure. And then I realized, well, this is one of the hardest, you know, medical conundrums that's out there and it isn't just going to be one walk or isn't just going to be one ice bucket challenge it's a it's it's a long way to go but i'll tell you it was a lot longer 10 years ago than it is now Mm -hmm. we're not as far away there is there is definitely some you know some light there at the end of the tunnel and it's all because of the work that the people at the association do it's all the work that people like steve gleason do and all the people i've met you don't get that kind of success 
through just kind of you know through raising money and saying, all right, we'll just we'll throw money at the problem. There's genuine will and passion to to find that success. Yeah, there had to be an infrastructure when the ice bucket challenge happened that existed, whether it was in terms of the ALS Association existing mm-hmm. and other ALS organizations as well. Um, sure, uh, people wanting to do it. Like if someone just did it out of the blue for you know purple disease, like oh well, I think people are being colored purple. Right. You know, then it wouldn't. Nothing would have happened. There wouldn't be anything there to collect donations or spread awareness about. Mm-hmm. And having those, you know, those resources, and pointing people to the association. And I'll, you know, I tell anybody who cares to listen about the association and what it does. You know, what you're getting from these people. Are like, well, who are these people? Are they just a bunch of fundraisers. And then I take them through. This is this is taking care of the pals. This is taking care of the caregivers. This is an ALS clinic. This is my father getting an adaptive speaking device to help him when he couldn't communicate. This is going to a clinic where you get to meet with 10 doctors at, at once or 10 different specialists at once. Um, without that structure there, it, it would have been a great it would be a great event, but a lot of it, I think, would have been for naught. So you're talking about some of the things your dad used. What were the, what were the things that... You know, 15 years ago almost, that your dad utilized during his time with ALS. And um, I, I don't know much about your dad's story because I've we talked about it years ago when right. I first started here multiple times. Mm-hmm. And um, I know you wear your Wayne's World shirt, which yep. it helps if the person you're doing a walk for has a name that connects to something cool. Exactly. Uh, so good, <laughs> good for him on that and the right. planning. Um, but, you know, what kind of services were being used by the chapter that really – not only benefited him, but kind of motivated you. Like, this is really an amazing thing. Well, it was, you know, um, I think first off, and, and uh, I believe she's still down there, uh, Elisa. Who mm-hmm. was I the, saw her today. She was okay. happened to be in the office. All right. She she sat down with us right when things started happening and said, hey, depending upon how this progresses, you know, we have different types of medical equipment that can help you. Now, typically, you know, we've heard three to five years, two to three years. My dad was 11 months. So from diagnosis to when he passed was 11 months. So a lot of the services that he could have benefited from, it was just too rapid to get him those benefits. But I will tell you this, um, medical equipment for the shower stall, medical equipment for their bedroom, a CPAP so he could breathe, or maybe it was a BiPAP, regardless. Uh, The adaptive communication device, which was a computer, he sounded just like Stephen Hawking which was the funniest thing in the world because they had built-in jokes for the people to use in responding to other members of uh, you know, the family. One of my dad's favorites was he'd hit, he'd hit a button when he could, uh, and this was before a lot of the eyesight, you know, adaptable uh, uh, usability on computers, but he'd hit a button and it'd say, if brains were dynamite, you wouldn't have enough to blow your nose. <laughs> So he got a kick out of that. Yeah. Uh, without that from the association, and then without the association going to another family and saying, hey, look, you guys have an adaptive van, and unfortunately uh, you've lost a family member, what have you considered doing with that van? They put them in touch with us, and that family gave us their van. Wow. Fully outfitted van. And when my father died, we took that van and we gave it to a co-worker of mine here at Franklin Capital whose uh, mother 
was sick at that time, mm -hmm. and they took the van and used it. So it became like a pay, almost like a pay it forward kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, that's hard you, to put a price tag on. Uh, that is absolutely. I mean, the fact that these, you know, we went with this first family. They had just lost a, their father. They were completely devastated. And they, you, you should have seen how happy they were to know that another family was going to get the benefit out of, out of that. No matter how long it was going to be for us, they were thrilled that we could take my dad places and we could have him, you know, get him off the van and get him out. Because that's, you know, one of the biggest issues with, um, with pals is transportation and, and weather and things like that. Yeah, so, you know, you, you mentioned um, how, like, your dad got to joke about it. And I think one of the things that the services do and, and the patient services staff, more importantly, not just the, the services exist, but Elisa, Brenda, yeah. and everyone else, is making sure that everyone keeps their humanity intact as much as possible and their personality. And then you're talking about these human things that were done, not just for the patient, but mm -hmm. then the pay it forward aspect. That's something that's a benefit. Not that we have that that you can get a pay it forward, but you know, making sure you're treating people with something that you you can do something, giving people an opportunity like that. Yeah. That means a lot to a person to be able to do that. Absolutely. Uh, I I'm sorry for putting two different topics in the same. No, thing. but it's it's it, not at all. It's it's to me it's very um, as as devastating and debilitating and powerless and hopeless as you can feel when you encounter ALS. Everything that I've gotten out of the association and the walk and the people I've met and the, the kindness that I've seen, take all those words and just remove the less. Remove the suffix. Mm -hmm. So there is hope. There is empowerment. Mm -hmm. uh, last year at the walk, um, been having kind of a rough year, and always look forward to the walk. And did the walk like any other, and was thrilled by it. But you know, was still a little like, ah, you know, I feel like I need something a little bit more. And a, a former coworker of mine who actually has ALS, uh, Jack Hess. Uh, Oh, I didn't realize he was a coworker. I remember you were searching him out at the walk. Yeah, making sure you saw him. Exactly. He he worked here. This company, Brinker Capital, has a very high statistical amount of people or family members with ALS. We've had about six different people, either family members or, in this case, an employee, who've had ALS. In a 140-person company, yeah. do the math. That's it's pretty high, right? Yeah. yeah. That's pretty high. So. After the walk. It's still a good company. You should still right, apply still, to work still here. It's still a good company. You're not going to get a horrible disease. <laughs> it's but not a communicator. You will, yeah, you will, you will not um, do that. But anyway, and Jack's, Jack's a, a, a pistol because he, you know, he's in his chair. He's a great big guy. The guy mm -hmm. was a you know, swimmer, lifeguard, athlete, whole nine yards. And to see his family getting him out there. But it was after the walk that his niece came up to me, saw me talking to mm -hmm. him. And uh, I guess he had mentioned me at some point. And she came up and, you know, with tears in her eyes, was thanking me. And I'm sitting there saying, I, this is, this is, you know, I'm just the, the person whose name says chairman after it. There are so many people who have done so much more. But the fact that she was so overwhelmed with gratitude and, and I didn't take it as a pride thing. I took it as like a, as... I accomplished something. I guess that's sort of prideful, but you know what I mean. Like, I felt like, yes, 
I'm thrilled to know that someone is getting a benefit out of this when I never expect. And I went from a year that didn't feel that great to a year that felt great just because of that one moment. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Like I, my wife works with people with brain injuries and it's tough with, because uh, they can't necessarily show gratitude a lot of the time with the things she has to deal with. And, and I am involved with other things where people go online, they just post negative things all the time and it can be kind of a downer. Yeah. And, you know, just... Like you said, life sometimes is awesome and sometimes it's not. But the genuine emotion that someone shows you that that you, you, did you feel something. like it was worth going to work. Ex- or going to this. Exactly, and I, you know, I've always felt like it was worth going to it, and I mm-hmm. always meet great people and great teams. But that was one of those times where I just walked away like, "Thank God you got involved with this. Mm-hmm. Thank God you didn't, you know, your dad didn't die, and you and your family just walked away." I mean, I chair the walk for what it's worth. My mother's on the, you know, uh, the board of trustees of the, of the ALS association. Yeah, and your mom's very involved. It's not like she just has her name on the board and we have a great board anyway, not, right. not to denigrate anyone else on the board. And I really like them. Um, but you know, I see your mom in the office a lot, whether it's a board meeting or something else or other things, it's really a credit to her that she put so much effort into what she's doing. And she and I, and we don't talk about it a ton. But we do, you know, we, we do talk about it and it's, uh, uh, my sister does what she can up in, in Boston. And mm-hmm. years ago she held fundraisers up in Boston to raise money. She's come down with her family, you know, and that's difficult. You've got kids, yeah. you're traveling all that distance and it's a short weekend. And, um, this was a group of people who, uh, I say this is a group my family was not about to just let this pass by us because there was an opportunity to do something. And not only because people had done so much for us, but we really believe that, you know, we can help make a difference in someone's life. And that's simple. I mean, it's, it's, it's a wonderful thing. Yeah, it's really incredible to me hearing um, your story because your dad, like you said, had ALS at least diagnosed for under a year. Yep. Do you think that your particular story in that short time frame um, made it so you were able to dive as much into it because you weren't as focused on patient care for many years as some people are? Um, and then also the other connections you ended up baffling, like having. having. Yeah. I tried to say a word that didn't come out. <laughs> um, but, you, you know, do you think that that brief but really tough interlude with this disease in your family just ended up being a special spark for you and your mom. Uh, that's a very good, that's an excellent question, Tony. I oh, think good, the, I'll write that down. I think, uh, I think the way you put that is true because it was accelerated. It was so rapid. And I'll never forget when, you know, we talked with the doctors and they said, we're, you know, we're going to put them on hospice and we don't know how long it's going to be. Mm-hmm. And when it happened, there was still that shock, even though they told you the end game is near. But I think because of the of the the sheer speed at which it moved, and maybe we didn't have the years of having someone on a ventilator and constant treatment, um, and that could actually be a drain. And obviously, it is a drain. I mean, there's there's no other way to describe it. But it, it made me more like, all right, if it's going to be this fast, who's it going to help? Who's it going to affect just as fast? And how can we help that? Right. But it definitely, it made me want to learn as much as I possibly could, as quickly as I possibly could. Yeah. And as soon as I learned about the association, what they were doing, I thought there's no other way to spend my time. And to this day, 
when you get your million calls on the phone and they say, hey, you know, we'd like to give to the Policeman's Benevolent or Susan J. Komen. Look, I love all those organizations. But both my wife and I, the constant response is, all of our money goes to the Atlas Association. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing wrong with people who have a couple different charities. There is nothing <laughs> wrong. Look, I, I, we support tons of things. I give money to Children's Hospital because of what they've done for my son. Right. I believe in that. I believe in helping the groups that are so important to, mm -hmm. you know, I, I say other people. that You know what I mean. It's too broad. But good organizations deserve our support. Do you think from your family perspective and then from hearing from other people you've met through the walk mm -hmm. that now you have a different outlook in terms of how you do your giving and how you then translate that to you know, talking to corporations and sponsors? Because yeah. you talk about what the ALS Association does and you go into a lot of detail I know when you talk to other people about these are the services, this is how it's invested. And so when you look, you like you said, Children's Hospital, you know what they do. Mm -hmm. You know, do you, do you think you put more investment into how you give and telling people how to think about their giving? Yes. Oh, I absolutely do. Um, whether it's talking to people here when they say, hey, I saw your email about the ALS walk, you know, give me a little background. I try I used to have these really, really long involved emails asking people to donate mm -hmm. for the walk. And it had every statistic and piece of information you could ever want. You read this email, you knew about ALS and what I was doing. And then I looked at it, and I've got like five paragraphs. In it. Right. And in this and day... And long paragraphs. Yeah, right. and this day and age, that's not the way the human brain works. Right. So I, I realized, you know, you almost have like that 30-second elevator pitch, mm -hmm. and you need, to, you need to hit the high points um, with your audience. And I think... Now it's helped me refine my message to the point where if I sit down in a room with a bunch of corporate heads or whatever, I know what I want to say to them and how to convey that to them. Mm -hmm. And it could be it could be a detailed message, it could be whatever, but I've always believed that if you stand up in front of a group of people and you talk to them about what's important to you, and then show how it could be important to them and the benefit that they will get from participation in it. And you talk from your heart, which is easy to do in a situation like this. Chances are they're probably going to listen to you. Mm -hmm. If you get up there and you, you bombard them with statistics and you say every 33 minutes or 33,000 people or whatever this, you know, at this point, I don't even really worry about the statistics anymore. Because that's what they are. Right. I can get you statistics to prove you anything. Let me talk to you about the human benefit here. Mm -hmm. Let me talk to you about the benefit that you're going to get from participating in the walk. Let me talk to you about. Uh, let me talk to you about my company, Merker Capital, and how our company dedicates one percent of its resources. Basically, we say we will dedicate one percent of our time towards helping organizations, and ALS Association is one of them, and Wounded Warrior Foundation is another, and that to me is huge because. The company is sharing a lot of the same values as me. I would love for them to give all the money to the ALS Association. Mm -hmm. That would definitely be my goal. Um, but I, like you said, it's great to donate to other charities. It's great to give to organizations that care and support people. And even with Wounded Warriors, my, like I said, my wife, she works with people. She was talking about Wounded Warriors Project helping someone she knows. Okay. So it's still a thing where you're like, you know, I know that good is happening because of my support. Exactly. And... That's when I get out up in front of the audience uh, or, or whoever it might be. 
I really try and sh just describe the feeling that I get so they know the feeling they're, if it's them or maybe they're talking to a group of people, their employees, a team, whatever. Um, they need to realize what they will get out of it, mm -hmm. what they can take from it. <coughs> Excuse me. And that, that benefit can be emotional. It could be from a, especially from a corporate standpoint, like here, I'll tell you what, I'll, for a company like this that gives as much as they do and shares my values, if you stuck me at a company that didn't do that stuff and didn't believe in caring for uh, people within the community and being a partner or a good citizen or call it whatever you want, I, I'm sure I might like, you know, perhaps I'd like the job, but I wouldn't necessarily like the company. I believe that companies have, because of the power that they have and the financial wherewithal they have and the numbers of people they have, the support that they can get, the goodwill that they can build in their own community, the the culture that they can build within their company and, and essentially tied to their brand, that is the benefit that you can get out of participating in a walk is just, it's almost incalculable. Yeah, that, that's interesting. And I'm writing this down. Um, do you think, since you've been doing this for 10 years, that the approach to corporate giving has evolved? Because now with social media, with marketing, uh, it's a good thing to be attached to good things, you know? It is, absolutely. And, you know, we go to these corporate recruitment breakfasts where you speak for the Greater Philadelphia Walk, and you it's not like Citizens Bank is there as a bank. It's not like a, it's not a building that's there. It's human beings that are mm -hmm. with them. So do you think it's the, the heart approach that works best because it sounds like it? Or yeah. is it the head approach where they're going to go back and say, you know, if we donate to the ALS Association, X amount is going to go here and we're going to get these benefits and, and then it's just like on a spreadsheet? Good good question. I mean, you've, you've seen me talk a few times. Um, when I get up in front of a group of people and I have to speak about this, it doesn't matter where it is. The first two minutes, I always go into this highly emotional shell I'll come very close to crying. I could. I, I have no idea. You know. I. I sorry. I, I know why it happens, but you would think after all this time, Chris, you've talked, you've done this a million mm -hmm. times. Why are you so emotional about it? Well, because it was my father. Mm -hmm. Because my mother's sitting right there, and she's just as upset as I am. So there it starts the heart part. And I believe that any doorway to anybody, the easiest way is to go right for their heart. And I don't mean that in a cynical way. I mean. Talk to you. Generally, yeah. Yeah. Wear that's your heart. Why, that's the reason I'm involved. Yeah. Wear your, wear your heart on your sleeve. And when you do that, you're going to show people why you're involved. Okay. So, you talk to them about that and they see the material or the, the um, how do you say material, the emotional cost and the emotional toll that's taken on you. You turn that around and you talk about the benefit that you can get out of participating, that I get out of participating. The, the kick, the, the energy that I get. So now you have to figure out a way to translate that to the company. And I'd be a fool, be a fool to say to you, there are companies out there that do donations just to put their name on something so it looks like they're doing something. Mm -hmm. That would just be illogical because there are companies that do but I'll tell you, after the corporate recruitment breakfast, most times I walk, people walk up to me and shake my hand and say, you know, that really meant a lot to hear your story. 
they don't come up to us and say, so how much do we, how much do you think we should give a thousand, five thousand? What, what, what's going to get our name on the biggest mm -hmm. banner out there? No one has ever said those words to me. Not once. Thank you. Really good story. Didn't know you guys at the ALS Association do all of that. Um, and I can tell by the way they're talking to me, they want to take that feeling back to their company, back to their team, whoever mm -hmm. it might be, and say, hey, look, we can get a lot out of this. Sure, we might get the local play because we're involved with the ALS Association, but I'm telling you internally, we work together. If we give together, it's going to be better for all of us. We're going to feel like we're part of the same culture. I keep using that word culture and, and whatnot, but you know what I'm trying to but say. But that's the right word for it. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's the cynical way of saying, oh, Brinker Capital wants to have their name on something. Right. But really, it's Brinker Capital wants to have their name proudly with the ALS Association. And that's a different sentence altogether. Absolutely. Uh, I've talked with our you know, senior management, and they, they just, they constantly impress me by how much they're, they're putting us out there. And they could easily every year go, Chris, here's a check for $5,000. Get us on the biggest banners and put us out there. And depending when times are tough and times are good, maybe one year is a little bit higher than the previous year or a little bit lower. And I've never once questioned that. I don't, mm -hmm. I don't, they, they want to give me a dollar, they give me a dollar. They've done more to support me in this association than I can count over the mm -hmm. years. But every time the question's asked, the answer is yes. There's never a moment's hesitation. And the next thing they say, they say is, what would you, you know, what are you looking at? And I give them the sponsorship levels and say, this is where we are this year. And they're honest with me right away. Hey, this is, hey, we're supporting a lot of things right now. This is what we can do at present. So they're like, they, it's great because it's, 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 look, I'm busy. I got lots to do. I'm giving out lots of money. You guys are always right here mm -hmm. with that group. We're always going to give to you. And that's why I, I've, you know, I'll, same thing. Fight for the company. It sounds cheesy, but I fight for them to the ends of the earth because of what they've done for me. So this makes me I think uh, one of the things that stands out in today's market, and especially with social media and all sorts of other online things like Reddit and just the general media. When you watch now, there's like 50 people running for president. I think I am. I don't know. A six number sixteen just came on the day. So well, this by the time a, this rolls on, it'll probably and probably be up to twenty five. Well, they'll have a cage match. <laughs> I love that, but it'll uh, battle it, the cage. <laughs> it, it's my experience can only fit up to six people in a cage. I want to see Donald hair, Donald Trump's hair pulled, and it'll, <laughs> put him in an um, you know battle royal. But the thing that sticks out is authenticity. Yes, and. You know, especially in politics, you look at someone like criticisms of a, of a candidate or of a company doing something. If they seem fake, mm -hmm. if they are fake, then that looks icky. Like people can tell right away when someone's fake. Yep. And everyone's looking for that now. Like if you wrote one thing one time and then you said something different a couple of days later, and even if you meant both, suddenly you lose credibility. Right. So this authenticity makes a lot of difference in terms of companies that are giving, giving often like yours. I, I absolutely. I we've, um, you know, we're a financial management firm. We do quarterly reports for our investors, and we have a website mm -hmm. for both our advisors and investors. And, and we've had some meetings about, hey, you know, just like you do, how do we update? How do we give it a new look? What do we want to put in there? And so I was in one of the, the design groups for the report, and I said, you know, we should be putting something in there about what we do. 
And especially in this day and age where you've got your millennials and whatnot, a lot of times the businesses they support are the businesses that give back. Mm -hmm. They tie their social causes to their commercial purchases. That's the way they operate. It wasn't like that 20 years ago. People didn't operate that way. And it wasn't that people didn't operate. They didn't know how to find that information. Exactly. And so I said, you know, obviously there's a delicate line. You don't want to sit out there with a big, big tuba and a drum and beat the drums so everyone can hear what you're doing. But by the same token, we are doing some really good stuff here for a wide group of organizations. And people should know about it because, I, you know, we went down to a Ronald McDonald House plane pull at the airport. Mm -hmm. And we had 30 people pull a plane at the airport to raise money for Ronald McDonald's. Mm -hmm. Everybody went out on a Saturday morning, about three hours of their time, and did this. And there wasn't a hesitation from those people to do it. They, absolutely, where do you need me? Mm -hmm. We go down to Phil Abundance. We participate in the ALS walk. It's, it's, it's ensconced in what we do, so I think you should share that with people. Hey, we're just like you. This isn't us touting, you know, blowing our horns here. This is... We're just like you. We believe in social causes. We believe that as a member of the community, we're a part of that community and we need to support it. And from that, the employees get, well, you know what? It's not just some faceless corporate entity that's running this place. There's real people at, at the top here who are genuinely interested in being good citizens and making us the same way too and using our goodwill to... You know, help build that because mm -hmm. we could we could all say, "Well, I'm not going to participate." Whatever, that's your, you. You guys want to do this? Write a check and call it a day. But when the list goes out, the the same people are always coming and saying, "Where do you want me? Where do you need me? Mm -hmm. I got to go move a thousand pounds of tomatoes and fill abundance." All right, I'll see you down there at seven o'clock tomorrow. So when you're speaking at the CRC breakfast, corporate group chair, um, and or speaking at the walk, you're not just teaching people about ALS. You're not just teaching people about how to give. You're really teaching people and companies how to be an authentic supporter mm -hmm. by sharing their stories and that's going to gain them a lot more than being on a banner like they're you're giving them an intangible benefit in the end it's going to sell them to their staff you know if i'm working for someone you know i obviously my boss i agree with the cause he has right, right. Same cause, but <laughs> exactly. you know, if he comes back and cares about something that i care more about working for him you know absolutely yeah it's 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 you share beliefs, mm -hmm. and anytime you share beliefs with people, it brings you closer together. And it's—I you know, don't want to say it's like being in a foxhole, but it kind of is. You've got their back, and they've got yours. You're thinking the same way. Um, you're pointing towards the same goal, and that's a major part of what I say. Is not only do you get the communal goodwill, your employees are happy to work for a company that's like them. So you go back, and this is what you've done at this particular company, Brinker Capital, and it's also what you do when you talk to people as a corporate recruitment chair, and you've talked to other sponsors independently, trying to get them involved for many reasons, talk to other walk participants. But now you can tell people, this is how you go back and talk to your business. This is yep. how, Tony, when you, you go work at XYZ Company, here's how you can sell it to them. And again, you're not just selling them the, the spreadsheet. You're not. Anyone can do this. Yeah. Why would you Why would you go? If you imagine if you went back into your corporate office and sat down with a list of statistics and said, I just got back from the ALS breakfast, guys. They gave me this great sheet of facts about ALS. Let's, everybody's head would slam into the table. But if you walk back into that room and say, I just got back from the ALS Association breakfast, I see what this does to patients and their families. 
they had his patient who spoke there. Um, you know, his wife or her husband was there as she talked. And then someone talked about the personal cost that they held and then how they've turned that into a form of power. I'm telling you, our company can get something out of this. And every single one of you has been saying to me for ages now, what can we do? Because you're out there. Well, we, here's what we can do and here's why we can do it. And most important, this is how we're going to benefit from it. Yeah, and I think that can't be stressed enough from where you are sitting because you're at a financial place mm -hmm. where and here at a capital business, you need to look at the spreadsheets in the bottom line. Yep. And yet you're looking at something beyond the bottom line. Mm -hmm. And if you're working at a school, if you're working at, you know, a, a restaurant, I don't know, any, any other type of place selling goods or services or doing something in the community, it's not as spreadsheet driven necessarily, even though you need to make money. Sure. So if, it, if that heartfelt message can work here, then it can work anywhere. Yes. I, I would love to each year stand up after the walk and say, congratulations, everybody. We raised a million dollars. Yeah, can we do that this year? We will. I will. I'll find right. an extra 250000 I think I got it in my wallet. And, uh, and give that from a purely statistical thing. But, you know, it's the old cliche. And it's a cliche I believe in. All you need to do is make a difference in one person's life. And that's worth more money than you can ever, ever count. So... Whether it's you doing it as an individual, you doing it as part of a walk team of, of friends and neighbors and family. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like you watched the, the, the team last year, uh, you see Kirk in it mm -hmm. for Roger Kirk. How can you not be inspired by that? There's something fundamentally wrong with you if you can go to a walk, any walk, and see what people are going through and see the sorrow on some of the faces and see the joy on some of the faces and see the power that they take from that. Um, all that comes from making a difference in somebody's life. Well, I think we can take Roger Kirk's story and really circle back to where this started. So Roger Kirk, um, for people who are listening and don't know him, he had ALS for, I think under two years, passed away this year, sadly. Mm -hmm. But he, I think everybody in Eastern Pennsylvania, everybody it seemed in the country, seemed to know Roger. He only went, right. went to an event. I had as many as almost 500 people at his walk team. Um, he befriend, His family befriended one of the Phillies players, uh, Cody Ashey, who is really underrated in terms of his involvement with this cause. Again, speaking to authenticity, because mm -hmm. Cody Ashey, really cool guy anyway, but like he, go, he, he talks about us on his own. No one needs to say, can you talk about ALS? You know, he does it. Um, but the reason why Roger was so beloved is not because he had ALS. Had nothing to do with it. It was because being a father and how active it was and what the ALS was doing to a person that people cared about. And that goes back to your story. You know, it wasn't just because this was a fast-progressing disease and it was terrible. It was because your dad was a good dad right. and husband. Like, it was because it was your dad, not just some guy. Right. And that, you know, I'm sure that you carry more about those, you know, many years you spent with him before he had ALS than just that 11 months. The 11 months is a not an afterthought, but it's an addendum to a life. It, it is. Uh, I was lucky enough, I was asked years ago to speak at a memorial service over in King of Prussia mm -hmm. um, for ALS families, which was very strange. I had never been asked to do anything like that before. And that was my message, is I can't take 11 months and ignore, well, let's see, 2030 three years for me. 
so I had 33 years of a great dad, great family, and then obviously still have a great family. Yes, mom, and yes, yeah. Andy, I still love you. Right. But it's a horrible, evil, terrible, sucky thing that mm-hmm. just destroys you. But I like, I almost, I, I almost like the term afterthought because that's what, it, to me, it starts to become. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't mean mean to debase it in any way, shape, or form, but what I'm trying to say is there's too much. You don't take the bad and supplant the good. Right. They can come together, but the good far outweighs the bad. The stuff I remember about my dad now, I occasionally have memories of um, my father. I feed my son every day through a feeding tube in his stomach. I fed my father through a feeding tube in his stomach. I know what it's like. What I went through with him makes me able to deal with what I go through with my son. And, and it really it gives me that strength to go, there is, there is more beyond this. There is happiness. Take the joy out of what's there. And speaking as a father myself, Beyond any health issues your son has, mm-hmm. your being a dad reminds you of your dad. That's how I feel. Exactly. And so when you're taking care of your, your son, who's still a kid, mm-hmm. and just like my son is still very small, though he feels heavy when I think about it, you're thinking about those healthy times more than you're thinking about any other time. So um, you know, that's what you're fighting for, and you've been inspired by the thousands of other people you've come across. Um, and I think you're going to be inspired by a bunch more in a few weeks on this, on Sunday, November 1st. Well, any, any reason why people, like last pitch, making sure people come out this year? Yeah. Um, all I could, all I could say is this, I promise you, whether you're a company, whether you're a family, you're a friend, um, come to the event, raise money. And I promise you, you will take away so much when you see people who can't speak, who can't move, and who've lost really everything in their life except for their actual life, and you see all of them fighting so hard in what most people tell you is a hopeless cause, and yet they have hope on their face, on their face when you witness that and you absorb it, the, the sheer sense of joy and power that you will get will be something that you'll never forget for your entire life. I mean that sincerely. And I mean it when you've got a group of employees there or you see the Kirk, the Kirkadit team, or I run into Wes Rose or Gary Tamoyan or Jack Hess or when I would run into Catherine, I see Jerry's team. I'm telling you, the walk is one of the greatest things that's ever happened in my life and it happened for the worst possible reason. And I would never be able to say that if it wasn't thanks to people like you, thanks to the association. And um, just the amazing people, stories, and and uh, I'm about to get choked up uh, that I've encountered over the years. It, it is worth it. Well, that's join. a pretty good pitch. Um, I, so if you want to join us, and I think after this you should want to, uh, go to www.greaterphiladelphiawalktodefeatals.org, or you can go to alsphiladelphia.org to find any of our walks and other events including our golf outing with the Roger Kirk family, um, including our uh, ALS Express bike ride, which happened this year. We can sign up work for next year already, and many other events, community partner events, or, of course, the Ice Bucket Challenge happening all throughout the month of August. Uh, thanks. I know Chris likes to say thanks to us a lot, but thank you, Chris, for getting your thank company you. involved and um, for teaching everybody. You know, if you are afraid that your company – is going to see this as something just to write on their spreadsheet and, you know, just numbers and 
uh, and statistics. It's more than an item on a spreadsheet. So ask away. You won't know what you can get until you ask. So um, again, sign up today for the Walk to Defeat ALS, Greater Philadelphia Walk to Defeat ALS.org. Thanks a lot, Chris. Thanks, Tony.